0: Welcome to Conceptually Speaking, the show where we interview experts in a variety of fields to uncover the systems and patterns that help us to conceptualize and reconceptualize our world. I'm Julie Stern, founder and principal facilitator for Learning That Transfers.
1: And I'm Trevor Elio, English Language Arts Lead for Learning That Transfers. This podcast uses our mental model as a sense-making tool through requiring, connecting, and transferring conceptual relationships to unlock new situations. Our guests identify three to five concepts at the heart of their field, and we discuss how those play out in a variety of settings. You can find out more about our work, including our online courses and other professional learning offerings at learningthattransfers.com.
0: Welcome to Conceptually Speaking. I am joined by our PE and health lead, Mihai Kachunar, and we are so thrilled to be uh, having our guest on, Cheryl Ann Weeks, who is a school counselor and the founder of Weeks Enterprise, which does consulting around the world on all things school counseling and mental health, mental well-being. So welcome, Cheryl Ann, we're so glad to have you with us. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. Um, So this is so timely. I mean, you know, Mihai and I talk about how we need a well-being revolution. He and I are going around the world trying to trying to, you know, keep this uh, well-being, kick this well-being revolution off. So we're really glad to jump right into these concepts. We asked all of our guests to identify three to five concepts. And wow, you you went for it. So I'm just going to read them all um, for our our listeners. And then we'll kind of go into to the first one or whatever one's you want to go into, Sherilyn. So they are mental health awareness, self-compassion, resilience, consent, and emotional safety. So why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about who you are and maybe the process of deciding the top five words that you would want to use to talk about this.
2: All right. So I have been a high school counselor since 1997, I think. Uh, A long time. And I've worked in Boston, DC, and then recently since 2010, I have been abroad. So I've worked in several countries um, as an international school counselor. And so for me, when people ask me who I am, I am a Barbadian um, citizen. I am an immigrant to the US. I am a daughter, sister, auntie, granddaughter. Mm -hmm. Um, I would want to say that I am a great friend. Um, And I would say that I'm an excellent school counselor because my purpose or my passion is to be a soft place for students in high schools. And when I say that, I don't take it lightly because High school can be hard for young people. It's harder than when I was in high school. A lot of times we say, "Oh, high school was so hard," but it really is much harder for students in these days with right. the internet and all the stuff that's going on in the world. So for me, what I want to be is a place where they can come and talk. Mm where they can get gentle correction, Hmm. where they can make mistakes without feeling like they're going to be shamed.
0: So Hmm. that's who I am. Hmm. I love it. I love all those things. So I can vouch for it because you and I met in a school setting you were the school counselor at Cesar chavez when i where i was director of curriculum um, and you are exactly all of those things she, i will let our listeners know cheryl Ann, she says a soft place she is not soft i wouldn't describe you have <laughs> your personality as necessarily you hold high expectations of your young people um and so i love that balance that that sort of interplay between high expectations and high warmth i try to embody that as a mother um, um, and and I think you do that so nicely as a school counselor. Um, Mihai what was going through your mind as she was speaking about about how, who she was or I saw you not our listeners can't see but we're on zoom and I can see Mihai smiling nodding um, he's he's jiving with what you're saying so anything you want to add.
1: Uh, um, hi hi Cheryl, and, um and thank you uh, Julie for giving me this opportunity guys it's just I'm, I'm super excited about the meeting actually uh meeting you Sharon and this morning uh, we just played soccer in the in the car you know and it was like a blast with the kids and my wife going to the school so that was like a, a super emotional I said okay I just want to see how this feels you know mm-hmm. there are you, music and uh, and I'm I'm super uh, super excited to to learn more about from your approach and how we do you tap in this uh, uh, emotional learning and the I mean, all learning has an emotional base mm-hmm. uh, of said that and i I would love to to know how how we can better connect it and just to get the insights and uh, your your tips and some uh, you know some things that can inspire us as as a, as a physical education teacher I I just, uh, this is the first thing I do when, when children step uh, into the gym. It's a well-being check-in, that's it. hmm hmm
0: mm-hmm. love that connection to music and how we can really sort of bring that in. Um, and I, it reminds me too, mu- mentioning that, Mihai, that Sherilyn, I remember your office, you didn't use the fluorescent lights. Is that correct? Am I remembering correctly? I mean, this was over 10 years ago that, we, that you and I met, but you would you had lamps in your office and even the space. I think, yes, but the lamps were
2: from Courtney. So Courtney was my office partner. Uh And what we tried to do and what I've tried to do since then is to have a place in my office where students can just come and hang out, you know, and sometimes for school counselors, you don't have the space, but it needs to be inviting so that students can come in and they can sit down and, you know, you can have chats, but also they can work. And that they feel comfortable there. So while, yes, I do have high expectations. And I think most of my colleagues would say I am not soft because I go hard for kids. (laughs) I'm a a student advocate. And if Mm -hmm. that means I have to hurt your feelings as an adult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, because <laughs> my job is to make sure that students have what they need, and sometimes that means I have to butt heads with the uh, with the adults. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, when I say soft place, I mean that. Students can make mistakes. I think sometimes we act like they can't make mistakes, like they have to get everything right the first or second time. And the truth is, we didn't do that as teenagers.
0: No, we made we did dumb (laughs) stuff. We did. We did. We did dumb (laughs) stuff. And I'm
2: here to say, I did some dumb things. My mother would be nodding, right? (laughs) That's right.
0: And so, what
2: I want students to understand is, it's okay for you to do dumb stuff. But then as it's part of my job to point that out to you and to allow you the space to make up for that, to get better, to do better, you know? And so that's what I mean when I say soft space, because you're going to do dumb things and you don't need to be shamed for it. You don't need to be told you'll never get this right because the truth is you will. It may take you four more times than we want it to, you know, but I remember having that conversation with my sister when my niece was a teenager Um, and I, we were talking about something and she was like, how many times am I going to have to tell her this? I said, as many times as you need to, till she gets it. Because teenagers will hear you tell them something. And even as the counselor, I would tell them things about college and then the college rep would come and tell them things and they would act like that was the first time they heard it. And I would be yeah. like, have I not been saying this for the last six months? So it's the same mm-hmm. thing. They don't always hear it in the same way the, right. same, the first time. That's and so right. you have to be a broken record for almost a better a thing.
0: You have to repeat it till they right. get it. Right. I wonder if, uh, so this shame is not one of your concepts that you chose, um, so I don't want to take us off course, but I wonder if you could share uh, examples or tips for how we redirect students or point out to them when they've made mistakes without shaming. What's the line there? What what advice do you have? That's something I'm always kind of thinking about. Well, it's why I said emotional safety, Uh because...
2: In schools, we are really concerned about student safety, right? If you Mm -hmm. ask any administrator, we're especially in public schools, but in all schools all over the world, we are concerned about student safety. Mm -hmm. But what we're talking about is physical safety. We don't talk enough about emotional safety, Mm -hmm. right? And emotional safety to me is exactly what I'm saying is that I can act up in a teacher's classroom and that teacher should pull me aside and have that conversation with me or ask me to stay after school and have that conversation with me or point out my behavior instead of make me feel like a failure by the way they correct me, right? So the the words that we use, it's like words matter. The words we use, the language we use, the tone we use, all of that affects emotional safety of a student. And yeah, sometimes students do things that really dig us, right, as adults. And sometimes they do that intentionally, and sometimes they do it accidentally. But it's still our job as the adults to be in control of our behavior and our emotions so that when we correct them, we are not shaming them. Right. And so for me, the best way to explain that is to say, if you can ask the student to step outside and have a conversation with them to say, hey, Charlene, what you just did, it was highly inappropriate. It will not stand. It is not allowed. It is, it is unacceptable behavior. Here is what I need from you. Right. You can tell by the sound of my voice that I'm being calm. Now, the, the opposite of that is being like, are you an idiot? What are you doing right now in the middle of the class in front of all the other students now as you and I know Julie depending on who the student is their response to that is going to be very different right so if I am the type of student who is easily embarrassed when you say that I'm going to raise the ante right so now you just embarrassed me and now I got to bring it and act really out of order so then we up this you know we're not de-escalating the situation we're escalating the situation as the adults because it is on us to be calm Mm -hmm. or to portray calmness when we are burning on the inside (laughs) the student has just done something Mm -hmm. because we're adults and we are human beings and this is what I tell students when students come to me and say miss that teacher embarrassed me can you believe and I say well what did you do Tell me what happened, right? And when they explained that, I said, okay, well, what could you have done differently in that situation? Miss, that's not the point. She, Did you hear me? She, she, she called me out in front of the whole class. While, yes, the teacher could have been calmer, I like to let students know that we are not robots as the adults, right? So we get triggered as well. And so that teacher was triggered by whatever behavior that was. And while he or she could have been calmer, you still have to take accountability for what you did, right? So it's not two separate things happening. It's two things happening together that collide. You did something that was inappropriate, that teacher may have responded a little harshly. And so then it escalated into something bigger. But it's important that students understand that we are not robots, that sometimes we are gonna do things that we shouldn't. And in that moment, for us, the adult, it's for us to come back and say to that student, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now we struggle yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. We, yes. we don't want to apologize to
0: students, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. they were wrong. Yeah. And but we're the adults to, or you know, all of those things. I think a lot of that's changing. But uh, the
2: truth is, if you get out of pocket with a student, you need to be able to come back and say, while your behavior was unacceptable the way that i spoke to you was unacceptable as well so right. i apologize for losing my cool I
0: right
2: i apologize for blowing my top however mm-hmm. here is your consequence still for what you <laughs> did, i love right?
0: it oh my god you you're just giving me like scripts to use with my own children i love it the things that i'm noticing that i'm pulling out are tip number one do it privately versus publicly so as best you can uh, correct privately, and tip number two is uh, focus on the behavior and not the 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 person. So instead of, you know, what's wrong with you, uh, what were you thinking, uh, you know, all of those things, it's more what this action that you did was inappropriate. It is, you know, it doesn't really, it's not, it's not a mark of your character. It's a choice that you made that I'm just letting you know, can't, you know, it's not appropriate in this classroom. I think that's really nice. And then the third tip is, of course, we're humans. Of course, we lose our cool. And when that happens we apologize without going back on the behavior that's inappropriate or the consequence that came. Those are really gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. And I think, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about is that different kids trigger us in different ways. And as a parent, uh, you know, my oldest, he just, he's fierce. And this, I think, is common among order of children. My oldest is super fierce. He's super opinionated. He grates on our very last nerve. And my youngest is cuddly, snuggly, cutesy, charming. And so I can hear my tone of voice. And of course, my oldest is going to let me know. He's like, when you said that to me, here's how you said it. When you said it to my brother, here's how you said it. He will let me know. And so I think that's The thing I try to do as a a high school teacher, you've got 100 some odd students and you got to sit and maybe this kind of circles back to your very first uh, concept, which is mental health awareness. You got to sit and be aware of which students trigger you or get under your skin faster <laughs> than the other students and be really aware of that when you're speaking to those particular students. Is that, Does that kind of uh, get at your first concept of mental health awareness? I think that just the concept of awareness is so gorgeous. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Yes. And the other thing I would tie into that is what I used to say to students, you know, or to myself, really, this awareness that, you have to know which students trigger you, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And for me, when I am triggered by a student, that's the student I try the hardest with, right? So if I know this is the student, Mm -hmm. like, this student really, whatever it is, right? Sometimes you don't even know what it is. Mm But you gotta take the time to figure that out so that you are aware of how you interact with that student. So then, like your child says, I heard that tone, mommy. You talk to mm-hmm. him differently than you talk mm-hmm. to me. And when you know that, then you're gonna try harder mm-hmm. with that student. You're mm-hmm. gonna try harder with Cheryl Ann because Cheryl mm-hmm. Ann brings it every time, right? <laughs> Cheryl mm-hmm. Ann comes into class a minute late every day. She knows the walking is 2 minutes so she walks in there a minute late and you're just like, "Really?" You came across the hall. Why did it take you five, 6 minutes to get here when you have 5? Mm-hmm. Because Sherlan is testing you, mm-hmm. right? She's trying mm-hmm. to see if what you say and what you do match up, right? Mm-hmm. Especially high school students, they go for it. That's right. And so when you are aware of the things that really grate on your nerves you put things in place to help you manage those things especially with young people because they want to know that what you say and what you do match up and when they see that those things are at odds they're going to create lots of situations for you to fail that test so by being aware you can put those things in place and also you can take care of yourself One of the things that's really important is knowing yourself, right? The awareness of what things get you, the awareness of what things bring you down when you're feeling triggered. You know, I used to have this this thing that I used to do when a student was really like getting me, I I would pinch myself just to remind myself, like if I, when I felt myself getting hot, I would pinch myself to kind of bring myself back to be like, okay. before you say anything, just take a pause before you respond to that thing. Take a pause, you know, because if you open your mouth to respond in that moment, sometimes you say the wrong thing. And as we both know, once you say something, you can't take it back. You can apologize for it. And sometimes that apology is enough. But sometimes the harm you've done, the apology is not enough to repair that relationship or salvage that situation. So you have to be able to take that pause. But in order to do that, you have to be aware of what's going on with you. So paying attention to your body, where where do you feel that hotness coming on, right? How do you know that you're about to, it's the same things that we ask students to do when we talk about emotional regulation for the younger students. You say, where do you feel that in your body? And how do you know you're about to say something or do something that is really gonna get you in trouble? You know, And you have asked them to identify those spaces because when they realize that I start to fold up my face or my heart starts to beat really fast, then you can say, okay, when you start to feel that, here is what you do to calm down. Well, adults, we need the same things. It's just that we forget that. We forget those things because we're out in the world, multitasking, taking on a lot. And I think a lot of times because we are givers, those of us who come into education, we are givers. Sometimes we are personally wounded when we have been giving and students don't respond accordingly, right? So we take it personally. And when you take anything personally, as we we all know, then your response is gonna be harder or bigger or larger because you're like, after all I've done and this is what you do, that's what we're feeling, right? And we respond to that. But if we are aware... that's what we're feeling, then we can take that moment to be like, before we speak, you met my friend, Adam. Adam will tell a really great story about me, about he could always tell when I was upset about something because he would want to talk it out in the moment because I am really aware. I usually want to take some time to reflect, bring down myself and then be able to talk. So he can tell us a really good story about, calling me into my his office, we were talking about something. I can't remember what it was now, but he was just like, in the moment he's talking, I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and when he's done, he's like, do you have anything to say? And I was like,
1: <laughs> and he was
2: just like, so the next day he was like, what was that? I said, I was so upset. I could not speak because I didn't know what was going to come out of my mouth, you know? And so for me, it was really important to be able to control what I was going to say, and so in that, in those moments when I feel myself feeling really hot, that is all you're going to get from me is yeah. Hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I don't yeah. have anything to say because mm-hmm. I can't trust myself, right? right? And so I know that I know that well enough about myself, where I employ that strategy. I encourage us as educators and parents. To figure out those things about ourselves so that we know what things trigger us, so that we know what strategies we can use to, to keep us from blowing up at our children, at our young people. Because like I said, apologies are great, but sometimes we can avoid some of those things by just taking that breath if we have the chance. Or saying, I remember mother used to say something like, I can't talk to you right now go to your room, right? Because I don't know what I'm going to say. So if you can, you can do that. If it's in a classroom, it is harder. Let's admit that you're in a classroom. You have 25 students. Cheryl Ann is acting the fool. Sometimes you cannot do that. Sometimes what you have to say to Cheryl Ann is Cheryl Ann, step outside. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, And that gives you the pause you need then come outside to Sherylann to get the kids, other students doing something. I'll be right back. You go outside to Sheryland, but you've had that time to pause. Instead of saying, Sherylann, you're acting like right. whatever,
0: whatever's coming oh, through your brain thing that
2: <laughs> comes to your mind first, because <laughs> students will remember those things mm-hmm. and it's harder for them to forgive them mm-hmm. because they feel like who you are in your anger is what you really feel mm-hmm. about me right
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. that's that's interesting uh I'm, I'm just learning here about the importance of uh, how to design that learning environment to make them feel welcomed when you when you open up to them and uh yeah it would be hard f- for me actually to be a student and to have you as a counselor in my school <laughs> 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 that's for sure <laughs> but I, from from a teacher perspective i i i do get the importance of uh i have a feeling that you have a high sense of self-efficacy you know you know what you're about to do and you know your craft and um you you're you're in control and you're ready and you have that awareness for what is about to happen you have the ins and outs and uh you have the self-regulation on on your emotions that, that's amazing and uh, i think also we from my perspective working with with children who are coming super excited to my session they want to move you no know? it's body embodiment you know we consider all all the the attributes of well-being in there it's like I'm learning that the, the strong negative emotions that they also tend to narrow their their thinking right this this uh, fear or anger so we, we got to be of, aware of how they're going to react to this because and I'm I'm looking at it is a, i'm kind of like looking to the functional side uh when you have when your body is swamped by fear you're going to start releasing cortisol right and mm-hmm. that's stress on your body and uh your focus and your desire to learn is is definitely impaired mm-hmm. and if we are aware of that as educators you know we we definitely we are definitely going to to prevent this moment or so just like we're going to develop ways to to mitigate that and mm-hmm. to, to really emphasize what's important. It's the academic content that we want them to, to process it, to understand it, to remember it. And if emotions are not there and they're not feeling comfortable, uh, it's unlikely to happen. And then, yes, right. you know, be in that... Uh, position to to tackle all these challenges and I I love this I think Jim Knight was saying uh, about uh, uh, being the listening ninja right I Mm -hmm. love
0: listening ninja yeah
1: (laughs) yeah. just like having it. I I don't know I think he presented a movie Mm -hmm. to last conferences and it was like the the interviewer posed the question and then uh, the lady uh, was uh, about to answer he spent like 15 long seconds until she just started to come up with someone mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. cool, you know, the guy he just hold it there like, like you were like you were saying you know, like I'm, I'm gonna hold it I'm gonna have my one two three one two three four fifteen you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really nice me had to bring in you know what's happening sort of chemically in the brain whenever we're feeling mm-hmm. uh, you know overloaded uh, and the stress and and knowing as adults that learning is not going to take place if students are in that sort of state if students are if we are as well and I think this leads nicely into your concept Sherilyn, of self-compassion that's so nice I'm I'm currently doing the uh, meditation series with Tora Baka called Radical Self-Compassion. It's so nice. Um, and so can you tell us about why you chose that, that concept, self-compassion?
2: So two things. We'll follow up on what Mihar says. If students think you don't like them, they can't learn from you. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I say to, to teachers all the time. Because mm-hmm. they'll be like, this student's acting like this in my class. And they're not acting like this in other classes, especially when we have those SST meetings. And it's mm-hmm, just that mm-hmm. one teacher that's having a trouble or it's a couple of teachers. But there's one teacher that says, Cheryl, has an angel in my class.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: a lot mm-hmm. of times it's the PE teacher mm-hmm, <laughs> it mm-hmm. was like, I don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the truth is we have to realize how we treat children matter, because okay. if they think you don't like them, it doesn't matter what the reality is. And that's, that's what right. I have to tell teachers all the time it does not run out of what the reality is. You may not dislike Cheryl Ann, but the way you speak to her may make her feel you do not Mm -hmm. like her. And Mm -hmm. if she believes that you don't like her, she cannot learn from you, period, the end. It doesn't matter how great of a teacher you are. It doesn't matter what strategies you're employing. If she does not feel safe in your classroom, if she does not feel liked by you, if she does not feel like you think the best of her, she can't learn from you. So it's important that we realize that. Um, I would say I have become much better at having those conversations with teachers, right? And being more gentle with teachers when I have those conversations, right? Because I do understand and I do believe that they're trying their best even when they're flubbing it, right? They're trying, we're all trying our best. Sometimes we just, yuck it up that day, we just destroyed it that day. But it wasn't because it wasn't from a place of meanness. Sometimes we're just overwhelmed. So the self-compassion comes in that it's important that we know ourselves, right? And it's important that we give ourselves grace. Grace is really important to me, right? To give it to myself, to give it to my students. Like I said, to have those difficult conversations with other adults in the school, with a sense of grace, like I'm not gonna come at you guns blazing, even if what I have heard is problematic. I'm gonna come in, or I'm gonna invite you into my office. Typically, what I'll do is I'll go to a teacher's classroom because they feel more comfortable in there, right? Mm-hmm. And if I say, "Can you come talk to me?" Then they like oh. <laughs> come to my office, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to create that that mm-hmm. imbalance or just mm-hmm. that. Superiority, like, I oh, here that. comes Sherilyn to try to tell me how to teach my class because that's mm-hmm. not what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll come in and be knock on your door and say, "Hey, can I come in? I'd like to talk to you about Julie." Mm-hmm. You know, you sit mm-hmm. down. I say, and I start off by asking you what's going on, because I do understand that students tell you things from their own lens, right? Just like right. when things happen. People always say, when an argument happens between two people, it's three different stories. (laughs) My story, your story, and what really happened. (laughs) The the, the neutral neutral side is the third. Because (laughs) we feel things through our lenses. Mm -hmm. We see things through our lenses. So sometimes we misunderstand things, even as adults, or we hear things through a different lens. And so you have to be able to hear from the teacher what happened. And I give that opportunity, listening to let that person say, here is what happened. And then I said, okay, here is what I've had this conversation with Julie. And here is, let me give you some information. And if it is that a teacher has made a misstep, I am not above saying, I think you should apologize to Julie. Now, most teachers bristle at this. I can admit that they most, most of them bristle. I've had, I've told a principal that that you need to apologize to the student. It doesn't go over well, but I believe in the ability to apologize to a student to to start to repair a relationship and to say, we as the adults are not always right. It's important that students know we can do that when it is necessary. Um, So the self-compassion comes in to understanding where you made that misstep and being willing to make, you know, amends for it, being willing to say to yourself, man, yesterday was rough. And saying that to your class, you know, because a lot of times as adults, we want to be perfect for students. Mm -hmm. And they know Mm -hmm. we're not perfect. But Mm -hmm. we think we're telling them that we're perfect. And they're laughing at us behind their backs because they're Mm -hmm. like, they're not perfect. Mm -hmm. she went off on the other this kid the other day talking about she's perfect. So (laughs) I think it's okay to say to a classroom when you do that to come back the next day and be like, yesterday was a rough day.
0: To acknowledge that, right? Sherilyn, I'm kind of getting this idea. I wonder if it's fair to say that self-compassion is almost a prerequisite to admitting faults, to apologizing, because if you can't be compassionate with yourself, then you're going to dig in. I was right. I was justified. Yeah, you're shooting. So you're nodding your yes, head listener, yes, Yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. I never thought about that before. That self-compassion is a prerequisite to admitting faults and apologizing. Go ahead. Tell us okay. what It's okay.
2: It's okay to say you flubbed it. It's uh-huh. okay to say I was really impatient yesterday. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's mm-hmm. okay to say, man, I was rude to you and I was tired or whatever, but I'm sorry, you know. Today, we're going to try something different today. Yesterday was rough because these things happened. Today, we're going to start over anew and try to do these things. I think it's important to let students know that we know that we make mistakes because we ask them to be vulnerable and to make mistakes for us all the time. But if we can't model for them the ability To recognize that we've made a mistake and to speak on that then how do we help them understand that it's okay to make those mistakes when they're learning we all know that students will sit in a classroom and not understand something and be silent about it because they don't want people to know that they don't understand something so if we want them to be able to take those risks because that's a risk to raise their hand and say miss can you explain that again I really didn't get it or to come after this class and say, I really didn't understand. You know, I know you explained it, but I just I'm having a hard time understanding. Can you explain it to me in a different way? We want them to take those risks. Right. We have to be willing to take risks as well to show them when we do things. And that self-compassion is important so that we can be real with students. Right. So that we can admit when. Things don't go as well as they should, and then teach them how to make amends. So it's the modeling.
1: That that's a that's a fantastic point you're you're making. Is it also isn't it also about uh, timing? Because I feel like um we are defining ourselves at, at least in our environment. We define ourselves as learners too, and I think it's the we, we've set these boundaries from the very beginning with our groups and as soon as we are able to recognize that this is not working or the fact that we don't have an answer for your question, okay, that's building trust in our relationship and that is just uh, moving forward to to the goals we have and also in the same time it's encouraging those uh, failures and uh, just seeing them as great opportunities to learn and just celebrate the uh, learning with the with the, with the challenges that are coming on the way and uh, letting them perceive us as uh, not the you know almighty and uh, all knowers and i don't know how you're going to call them you know it's just uh, i'm a learner uh, mm. i've the answer right now but i'm i'll be happy to let's find it out together mm.
2: I love that. that. That's, I love that. I right? idea that right? I don't know everything. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Let me help you find out. Mm-hmm. I love that.
1: I'm, I mean, what, what do you have to lose? I mean, what do you, I mean, if you're in the same, if you're in the same team, in the same group, in the same, uh, I don't know, pack, I would say like <laughs> kind of like a mentality, but it's just, what do we have to lose? We can only win if we do it together. And I think this gains, uh, it comes the, fantastic reward for both of us, you know, a teacher, student, and uh, whoever is uh, is involved in this process.
0: I'm loving this because like the whole premise of this podcast is to ask an expert in the fields, so in this case would be Cheryl Ann, around mental health and just sort of overall school counseling, uh, to give us these three to five words. And then we just talk about how all of these things are connected and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing the pattern. I hope our listeners are seeing the pattern as well. I almost want to go on my whiteboard to say, okay, how are vulnerability, shame, awareness, self-compassion, learning, risk-taking all these words we've used so far, how are they connected? They're intertwined. Trust. Mihai brought up the the concept of trust. Um, They're all intertwined. They're all interconnected. And I'm almost seeing this big umbrella idea of humanity, shared humanity. We are all human and guess what? A fundamental characteristic, a critical attribute of human is imperfection. (laughs) That is what it means. I sometimes say that to my young children. I'm like, I am a human. They, or, or if they get upset because they made a mistake. My youngest feels a lot of natural shame. It's so interesting because my oldest is like, I'm good. He makes a mistake, he's totally fine with it. It does not say anything about his character, you know? <laughs> but my youngest is like, I made a mistake, therefore I'm bad. Like he just kind of has this natural tendency that we we constantly have to sort of uh, erode and chip away at. And so one thing that I often say is like, you made a mistake, amazing. It means you're alive because you are a human. You're not, as you use the word robot, Sherilyn, to describe teachers. We are not robots. If you did never made a mistake, you would be inhu- inhuman. Like you would be a robot. You would be an alien. You would be something that is not a human. Um, and so just that idea of normalizing mistakes, I think leads so nicely to your next concept, which is resilience. So tell Yay. us about that. So,
2: resilience for all of us, not just for students, but for adults, because mm-hmm. when we employ self compassion, it is an awareness of mm-hmm. all the things about us, the good and the bad, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And resilience is not what, not grit. I hate the word grit,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? Mm-hmm. But resilience is the ability to bounce back from when mm-hmm. hard things happen, because mm-hmm. the truth is, in this world, bad things happen. All Mm -hmm. the time, Mm -hmm. difficult things happen. We fail badly, Mm -hmm. you know. And the resilience is the ability to get up tomorrow to live to fight another day. Like we say, sometimes I leave at the end of the day and I'm like, I'm done. (laughs) I can do nothing else. Today was rough for me. And I'm going to go home and lay on my couch and eat chocolate (laughs) or eat ice cream, (laughs) you know, or do whatever thing that makes me feel good, listen to music. Um, And tomorrow is another day. I live to fight another day. That's what resilience is. The ability to bounce back when hard things happen. And so it is a learned behavior. It's not innate sometimes because some, for some of us, like you were saying about your youngest is that sometimes we feel this shame and when bad things happen, we feel gutted. Some of the things are worse than others. And the resilience is the ability to bounce back. But We have to know the strategies to use to bounce back. It's not innate. It's that you have to learn strategies. What are the strategies? So when I talk to students who are having difficult moments, whether it is a personal, a family, something happening in class, it's that what do you do to teach yourself how to bounce back? So the question that I used in my last presentation was, is what you're doing helping or hurting? That's the question you have to ask yourself, right? If the strategy that I use to make myself whatever, does that help me? Then I can keep doing it. It's like self-reflection, right? If what I'm doing does not help, it's like banging my head against the wall every time and nothing is changing. So I have to do that reflection to say, are the strategies that I'm using helping or harming? If they're harming, then it leads to say, you should change them. But you have to have an arsenal of strategies. So for young people, we need to give them strategies. What do I do when I feel like this? How do I make myself feel better? What do I do to convince myself that I can keep going? This horrible thing has happened. How do I get back to a place of feeling like I can? So we need to give them strategies and when students are struggling the most especially with mental health what i like to do is to ask them what makes them smile mm, right mm. i used to say what made them happy and then kids some kids would be like nothing makes me happy mm. okay <laughs> check me <laughs> right so then i started to say what makes you smile
1: mm-hmm. you know
2: or mm-hmm. what, make, what makes you have a belly laugh you know that mm-hmm. laugh that you have deep down where your whole mm-hmm. body's shaking and your mm-hmm. eyes are watering what mm-hmm. makes you do that? For some students, they don't have that either, but you can think of what things make you smile, right? And you need to make them write them down. Because if you have already identified them, when you have that thing that happens that guts you, you know what to go to, right? Because in that moment you don't, you can't think of anything. But if you have a list somewhere in your brain, on your computer, somewhere, you can start trying those things. And like I tell them some days, some things are going to work and they're not, some things are not going to work. That's why you have to have a list. Because if you have only one thing that I do, like I listen to music and on that particular day, that song does not work. Then you feel like nothing is going to work. Right. But if you have a list, here are the things that I do. Some days, I talk to people, some days I listen to music, some days I go for a walk, some days I take a nap, some days I take a long shower, some days I have a good cry. That's my favorite thing to tell students to do. Sometimes you just need a good cry because we equate crying to weakness, but really what it is, is an ability to get all of that pent up stress out of your body. Sometimes you just need to cry it out. Just like we're going to tell students to dance it out. Some days you just have to break down, cry, get it out, deal with, feel your emotions because the resilience is not the ignoring of those emotions. It's not saying, I'm Teflon, things bounce off of me. No, it's saying I am gutted right now and this is how I feel. And I'm going to acknowledge those feelings. I'm going to feel them. And then, then after I have felt my feelings, then I'm going to get to work trying to come back from that but you have to feel the feelings it's not that's why I said it's not grit this idea Mm -hmm. that I can get through and it's feeling those feelings Mm -hmm. acknowledging that things are hard horrible devastating Mm -hmm. and then doing little things to get back to it
0: Right? Love that it just reminds me of a friend of mine t- talking about saying, Julie, have you ever tried a good shower cry? Combining two of your strategies, there, Sherilyn, like in the shower, ball your eyes out. And she told me, She's like, It's you should try it, Julie, it's so therapeutic. Um, and I just thought that was so funny, like combining two of the strategies, a good shower cry. Um, uh, but I love all those ones that you named. Mihai is fierce and yeah. he's he's always getting me to like do push-ups or, or pull-ups or, or jumping jacks <laughs> I, I,
1: I'm I'm crying from time to time yes uh, okay. it's just, just that like I, physical I, stuff
2: I, works too you mm-hmm, know that's mm-hmm. why we say dance for me is dancing because mm-hmm. I'm I'll be honest with you Mihai I'm not an exercise girl <laughs> the dancing I can do but I You're agree that that works too mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm
1: that's movement
0: yeah yeah definitely
1: so i i i, I like this this uh, part uh, when you and this is this I'll, I'll just steal this one what makes you smile because i think it's it's incredible uh, how well we connect when we are uh, when we are laughing when we are smiling that's the first time that i know i'm connected to the person i'm talking to so uh, it, it's part of, of my, my role, you know, I try to, to uh, say a joke or just like to, to just loosen up, you know, the, the academic tone if I need to, just to get closer to, to the one I'm talking to. And I, I think this is, a, this is a great point you're making. And now just like taking farther, like what we're doing at Leonard Transfers, you know, like transferring to real life situations because we might look for strategies, okay, how to build resilience. And uh, that's hard to... Emotions are hard, hard to be measured, right? This is why scientists are kind of running away from them because there are no standardized tests for those. Mm-hmm. And um, how do we apply this in real life uh, situations? How do we make the connections? How do we encourage the, the learners, The I don't know, our own kids, you know? I feel like I'm, I'm a bit rougher on this side like with, with my son we just we just went climbing and he had to upsell nine years and uh i didn't stay around him for too long uh, and i said like I, I think you can do it i went first and then he came uh, in the middle with we like four persons and i asked him afterwards like uh, how, how did you were you scared and I said, like yes i was scared and uh, what happened what made you what made you uh, overcome this challenge and he said um, you're all going down and there was no way for me to, 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 you know, to, to go, uh, to go back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know. But for me, I just point out, Hey, this is a great, a great experience where you're just like, you prove your, your in it's, it's a, in face of adversity, right? Cause mm-hmm. you're kind of on your way, you don't feel comfortable. You're maybe you have a fear to, to, to even touch it, you know, and you're not communicating you're not like i think the, that's the real
0: i think that's really nice mihai to, that what you brought into that was questions asking our young people to reflect and i think mm-hmm. that's a huge strategy we all the entire planet just went through a terrible pandemic And so just asking them, what did we learn from that? When were there moments where we just thought, like, was it a birthday party? Was it uh, Christmas? Was it something that you couldn't do, a vacation? And how did you feel? How did you get through it? How did you bounce back from that dark moment? Um, I think that's so nice just to add. We've got to add that and build that into our our lesson plans i think that's essential and when we we think we don't have time for it you know i often say it's an investment it's investing like in your health it's investing in what you can do with your students sort of linking back to that idea that if they're if they're stressed they super stressed, they can't learn. Or if they're depressed, they can't learn. If they're super anxious, they can't learn. So we have to take the time to help them process those, to help them build those skills um, so that they can learn. So we don't really have time. This was such a great conversation, Cheryl, uh, we're kind of coming up a, a, against our, 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 limit here, but you have this last one that we didn't touch on yet. Do you think in like three minutes or less, you can talk about consent? Um, ah. Yes.
2: Mm -hmm. So I love consent. (laughs) Consent can be a conversation all by itself. Mm -hmm. So I'll say this. We need to teach students to do things scared because people like to tell me all the time I've lived all over the world and I have gone to 30 countries by myself. And are you, you're very courageous. I do everything scared. I do it scared. And I think we need to post that everywhere in classrooms. Do it scared. It doesn't mean you don't feel the fear. You just push past it and keep going. Consent. Consent to me is so very important because lots of us are falling short of that. And it's one of the things that students struggle with, right? Adults struggle with it. As we know from the Me Too movement, whoo-wee, every day you turn on TV and there's another person who has been accused of being inappropriate. Um, Consent for me is about boundaries and the respect for people's boundaries. We all have boundaries, but we put them into place. And what we have to teach young people, especially is you don't get to negotiate my boundaries. If I set a boundary, you respect it and you move on. So what I tell people is I now like to have a whole conversation with students about consent. And I started having just many conversations with students When I worked in DC, hearing students talk about things and I would be like, "Uh uh-uh, that's not true. That's not appropriate. That was inappropriate. That was disrespectful. It's important that they understand how to navigate boundaries. Consent is important in everything we do, not just sex. right? Because when people hear me say consent, they think I'm only talking about sexual interactions, but I'm talking about everything consent for using people's properties consent for when I say that I don't want to talk about something that you respect that that you don't push me to try to talk about something when I say I'm not ready that you don't take my things this happens the most in elementary school touching people's possessions without their permission that's Mm -hmm. consent the other thing is touch and personal space you know if I say I don't want to be hugged or if your children say they don't wanna be hugged, this is the hard one. When I talk to parents about consent and the ability of giving their children choice in terms of touch, because we all have grown up in a house with some of us where somebody comes and says, go over there and hug, hug grandma. And you're in a mood today and you're like, I don't wanna hug grandma. I don't wanna kiss grandma. And then we shame our children for those choices, right? But they are should be able to say, I don't wanna be hugged today. Can I just give you a high five or a fist bump, right? So the consent is the ability to choose for yourself, the ability to have agency, the ability to have choice. And we as the adults in their lives need to show respect for that, to give them the space to decide how they want to
0: engage. Gorgeous. So much there. And we're gonna have to have you on Sherriland, part two of 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 the conceptually speaking podcast, because that's so nice. You mentioned boundaries. You mentioned agency. You mentioned respect. um, All of those things. Choice. Choice so nice uh, to really think about that. And, you know, I, I think in my journey with concepts and thinking about conceptual understanding right now, my passion is reconceptualizing, rethinking, revisiting concepts that we thought we understood and, and thinking about them in a different way. And we have to be doing that because we are in a place in time. It's like, you know, we study the Renaissance and we study the, 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 uh, medieval period. It's not like people were walking around going, you know, we're in a renaissance right now, or, you know, we're in the dark ages. You know, no people weren't walking around going, I can't believe we're living through the dark ages. This is something that retroactively historians labeled those eras. And my question is: Are we going into? Are people going to label this as the Dark Ages or a Renaissance? Because that's where we are. We have a choice right now, um, and how you you go from the Dark Ages to the Renaissance? The path, I think, is rethinking things and 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 sort of getting objective about where we are in place and time and and how we think about things and i think that's that's the next era to me you know like you said we had the me too and then with george floyd and everything spawning uh sort of a racial reckoning that we're, we're living through right now i i do really and and of course that came with beautiful things such as indigenous rights people with disabilities uh gender issues sexuality, all of those things are coming to the forefront. And I think the next is children. I think the next is how we treat children and how we use our power over them. Mm Is a conversation that needs to be had, and so definitely would like to have you back on the podcast if that's okay with you. Definitely, Um, I think this was such a gorgeous conversation. So many places that we could we could go potentially, but I think we've got a lot of tips. Hopefully, our listeners got a lot of tips uh, and food for thought, things to chew on for the future. So you do workshops. You mentioned before you do a workshop on consent. You do workshops on mental well being. You do workshops on teacher well being as well. Yeah. So where can people find out more about you and your services?
2: They can go to my website, which is weeksenterprise.com. They can find me on Twitter, which is Bajan Weeks, which is B-A-J-A-N, which is like the slang term for Barbadian. And they can find me on LinkedIn on a Weeks. I think definitely, definitely. Let's talk more about consent. I could talk about consent all day.
0: Okay, we're gonna do we're gonna do part two just on consent. And weeks has a second s, so W E E K E S. Just for our listeners uh, yes. to get that, and we'll link everything in the show notes. So uh, thank you for being here. Thank you to Mihai, amazing uh, co-host here, bringing his thoughts and energy as well. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conceptually Speaking. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and are coming away with a stronger grasp of the concepts and mental models that help us to understand our world. If you like this podcast, please like, comment, or subscribe on your favorite platform and join our community by visiting learningthattransfers.com.